We are now mathematically one half of the way through the year, with today being the 185th day out of 365. It's July 4th, 2021. There's a holiday spirit in the air, with the non-existent celebration earlier this week of the fiscal new year, today's Independence Day vibe, as well as a long weekend for those with salaries. This is as good a time as any to catch up with recent meetings in another edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, with another installment festooned with celebrations that local governments play in a democratic society. Thanks for listening. On today's show, updates on capital projects and cybersecurity from the Rivanna Water and Sewer Authority. A look at how the pandemic affected transportation behavior across the country and in Virginia and the Jefferson Area Regional Transit Partnership discusses ways to get a better system by connecting the various moving parts. In today's Patreon-fueled shout-out, as we head into summer and the weather heats up, your local energy nonprofit, LEAP, wants you and yours to keep cool. LEAP offers free home weatherization to income and age-qualifying residents, If you're age 60 or older, or have an annual household income of less than $75,100, you may qualify for a free energy assessment and home energy improvements such as insulation and air sealing. Sign up today to lower your energy bills, increase comfort, and reduce energy waste at home. One quick news bit before we get on to a couple of longer pieces today. Over three-quarters of a million Virginians on Medicaid now have access to mental health and dental benefits. Governor Ralph Northam marked the occasion on Thursday while launching a new medical and dental center in Richmond. The change comes in the form of an increased line item in the budget, which went into effect on July 1st. Medicaid members are now eligible for three dental cleanings a year as well as preventive care. Those benefits are administered by DentaQuest, who can be reached at 1-888-912-3456 or visiting DentaQuest.com. The Board of Directors of the Rivanna Water and Sewer Authority met virtually on June 22nd. The RWSA builds and maintains the infrastructure that treats drinking water and processes wastewater in the various urban locations. That takes a lot of money, and there are a total of 54 projects in the agency's capital improvement program over the next five years, at a cost of $170.1 million. But planning is also underway for projects that will be built after that time. Bill Moyer is the executive director of the RWSA. The theme in our infrastructure and master planning, you may note, is pipelines. We're working on a central water line that is going to largely go through uh, the center area of the city of Charlottesville. A route has been identified for this project, and a cost-share allocation between Albemarle and Charlottesville has been discussed. The current capital program does include about $43 million for a new water line between the Ragged Mountain Reservoir and the Observatory Hill Water Treatment Plant. That amount includes an upgrade of the water treatment plant that will increase its capacity to 10 million gallons a day. The RWSA is still working to secure easements for a nine-mile pipeline to connect the Ragged Mountain and South Fork Reservoirs. 
The project has a cost estimate of $80 million and has a current estimated completion date of 2033. Another project that needs an agreement between Albemarle and Charlottesville is the replacement of the Shanks Branch Interceptor. That's an aging sewer line for which the first phase has been completed. The holdup is the project's alignment, which can either go on city property underneath McIntyre Road south of Preston Avenue, or it can go on land owned by Albemarle County at its main office building. The RWSA's monthly update on projects has more information about the nearly $4 million project. Following pipe alignment determination, the design plans will be updated, and the construction approach will be coordinated with a city project planned for the same general area. The RWSA board also got an update on security issues from the RWSA's Information Systems Administrator. Here's Stephen Miller. Cyber attack is the number one threat right now to our water infrastructure. It's been nearly two months since a ransomware attack led to the shutdown of the Colonial Pipeline, leading to temporary fuel shortages in Virginia and other southern states. In February, a water treatment plant in Oldsmar, Florida, was attacked by a hacker who sought to increase the levels of sodium hydroxide in order to poison people. That attack was stopped by monitoring by an employee. Miller described the vulnerability that was exploited. Somebody left a remote access program on a machine, didn't, you know, just left it sitting there, and then their passwords, an operator's password was acquired somehow, and they were able to break in. Mitigating tips include requiring multi-factor authentication and backing up critical systems so they can be replaced if access is shut down through a ransomware attack. Miller said there are several layers of protection. So our first layer basically is physical. Um, We lock our water plants. We don't let people just walk up to computers and use them. Other layers include camouflaging the RWSA networks through the next generation of firewalls. That software will also allow us to do something called geofencing, which allows us to block all traffic from a specific area. For instance, there's really no reason why we should have any traffic going to or from China. Next, the RWSA got an update on the federal and state permits required to draw water from the natural environment for the urban water supply. The permits issued by the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers expire in 2023 and will need to be updated. Jennifer Whitaker is the RWSA's chief engineer. We uh, luckily submitted our permit for the urban system in May of 2021 and are Um, working our way through the process. Since the last permits were issued, there's a new dam at Ragged Mountain, and the upgrade of two water treatment plants are underway. Future elements in the water supply plan include the construction of the South Fork to Rivanna water line, the eventual raising of the water level at Ragged Mountain, and the decommissioning of the North Rivanna water treatment plant. There are separate urban water systems for Crozet and Scottsville, as well as Glenmore. The Rivanna Water and Sewer Authority Board will next meet virtually on July 27th, shortly after the meeting of the Rivanna Solid Waste Authority. The pandemic affected how Americans traveled, with fewer vehicle miles traveled at a time when people were asked to stay at home as much as possible. 
The Commonwealth Transportation Board had a briefing on the numbers at their meeting on June 22nd from Laura Shule. Shule is the chief executive officer of Streetlight Data. Everything that moves these days has some sort of technology on board to help measure it. Um, it can be the uh, geolocations in your phone, connected car data, data from car fleet management systems. Streetlight takes that data and analyzes it to describe how people are using roads across the whole country. Nationwide, vehicle miles traveled, known as VMT, in urban communities was at 60% of normal levels in April 2020, at the height of the lockdowns. The decrease was not as high in rural counties. Urban areas saw far more VMT decline and still haven't recovered to the same level as the more rural and suburban counties. Shul said that while VMT is heading back up, there is evidence congestion is down, in part to more people driving outside their traditional peak hours. We're using our existing assets more evenly, and that means we're using our existing assets better. And that may mean that in some areas we have reduced the need for road expansion or new roads because we're doing a better job utilizing the roads we already have. Shewell said better data may help transportation planners make better decisions about what might be needed in the future, and that more time and data collection is needed. I think in the future, or really right now, what we need to do is we need to measure, we need to predict, but I don't think we should make a prediction. We need to predict in ranges, because we know there's uncertainty and we know things can change. We need to predict a range of outcomes. The Virginia Department of Transportation's Traffic Division uses 512 counting stations across the Commonwealth to measure traffic volumes, mostly on major highways. Engineer Mina Lockwood said Virginia saw a sharp decline in VMT in the early days of the pandemic, but there has been a rebound. Since then, um, we've been relatively steady, and then over the last couple of months, we've actually had, you know, our truck traffic has been above typical conditions, and the um, all-vehicle traffic has been just, uh, just below typical conditions. Lockwood showed data that indicate the congestion in Virginia's metropolitan areas is beginning to return to pre-pandemic levels. Several members of the Commonwealth Transportation Board noted that this is the time for employers to consider incentive programs for teleworking and other programs to reduce vehicle miles traveled. Another factor in the fall could be the full return to in-person school. Mary Hines represents the Northern Virginia District on the Commonwealth Transportation Board, and she said localities need to be prepared. I'm a little worried about that, particularly in the really urban places, that we're just going to have traffic jams beyond belief September. All about taking kids to school. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and now it's time for a public service announcement supported by readers and listeners. The future of passenger rail in Virginia got a lot brighter this year as the Commonwealth of Virginia signed agreements with CSX to purchase hundreds of miles of railway corridors for $3 billion. The group Virginians for High Speed Rail are holding a transportation town hall on July 15th at 1 p.m. on the topic The True Story of the Virginia CSX Deal, Lessons Learned, and the Future of Passenger Rail. Virginia Transportation Secretary Shannon Valentine and Amtrak President Stephen Gardner are the speakers.
And now the second half of this episode of Charlottesville Community Engagement, focusing exclusively on transit. If you're interested in driving less and you want to know what's happening to improve transit in this community, a good place to start is the Jefferson Area Regional Transit Partnership. The group consists of representatives from Charlottesville Area Transit, Jaunt, and the University of Virginia's Transit Service, as well as elected and appointed officials. It's also a place where people can comment on transit issues. One speaker at the June 24th meeting was Ethan Heil, who decided last year to get more involved. Uh, last September, I was excited to hear of my appointment to the CAT Advisory Board. Um, unfortunately, since then, I haven't received any follow-up communication. Heil said he understood the body might not have been a priority during the pandemic, but the advisory board should play a role going forward. I'm hopeful and I respectfully request that we could find an opportunity to re-engage the CAT Advisory Board. Council discussed whether to keep the CAT Advisory Board as an entity last October when they reviewed the status of various appointed bodies. The board has not met since the pandemic began. At the end of the meeting, City Councilor Lloyd Snook said Council considered the fate of the CAT Advisory Board last October. And we basically decided at that point that there really wasn't a lot of reason why the CAT Advisory Board should be sort of a council-level appointment. It ought to be something that worked directly with Garland and and uh, and the, the transportation piece more, more directly rather than having us involved. Garland is Garland Williams, the manager of CAT. He said the advisory board is important, but its function and role needs to be studied. I think it needed to be looked at, and I asked for your authorization to hire a consultant to look at what the what the CAT advisory board does and then bring back a recommendation to council sometime early, late uh, this year or early next year. And you authorized me to do so. One item on the partnership's agenda was new guidance on getting assistance from VDOT staff for smart scale projects that seek to move more people onto transit and other multimodal solutions. Chuck Proctor is an engineer in the Culpeper District. We can help you develop sketches for infrastructure improvements, uh, if you want to put out a, a bus pullout or you're going to be doing bus stops, um, even bike pedestrian facilities to and from a transit stop. This year, the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission succeeded in securing $3.38 million in smart scale funding for a park and ride lot at exit 107 on Interstate 64. That's also on the route of the Afton Express service between Stanton and Charlottesville that is slated to start in September. The next deadline for the next smart scale cycle is not until the summer of 2022. Transit agencies can make their own applications. Proctor said there are efforts to find a location for a park and ride lot on Pantops. There had been one at the Pantop shopping center. Supervisor Diantha McKeel said she wanted to know more information about how people use park and ride lots, given the rising cost of land in the community. We don't want to go out and take good, valuable land or space and end up with, I mean, we just need to know what we're doing before we. <laughs> Becca White, the director of parking and transportation at the University of Virginia, said park and ride has to be part of a coordinated strategy in order for it to work. It's not a park and ride for park and ride's sake. You have to, you know, it has to be the right amenities. It has to be just lighted properly. It has to have 
waiting areas. It has to be linked to either transit or carpool trips. And, you know, it's not, it's just not, so it can be very successful, but it's not um, a park and ride for park and ride sakes. Cat is studying possible locations for a park and ride lot on US 29 in Albemarle County's northern growth area. Cat director Garland Williams said such a facility would be ideal for people driving to the University of Virginia. We would also add a hub for transit where we'd have a dedicated restrooms um, um, for our facilities and, and, and moving forward. The TJPDC is also studying expanded service in Albemarle's northern growth area. The first round of public engagement efforts should begin in July. One change that will happen in the short term is that CAT buses will no longer travel through the Rio Hill Shopping Center. Williams told the partnership that the property owners asked for the stop to be removed, at least for now. Their reasoning was the shopping center will be, will be undergoing a renovation of the storefronts, and the current bus route will not work with the vision of the shopping center. The shopping center would still be served, but the buses will not travel on the Rio Hill Shopping Center property. Toward the end of the meeting, John's planning manager, Stephen Johnson, posed an interesting question. Could bus stops used by multiple transit agencies be given different names that could be shared? So that in our literature, everybody is referring to the same stop by the same name. I think that would be a good thing for users of our systems. In June, City Council approved an appropriation of federal funding for Charlottesville Area Transit to purchase 11 buses, all of which will be powered by fossil fuels. As we'll hear more of in a moment, CAT is conducting a study on what they should do going forward. But some area transit fleets have bought at least a few electric vehicles. Jim Foley, the director of pupil transportation for Albemarle County Public Schools, said his system applied to Dominion's electric school bus program. I'm not sure we'll get them, but um, we gave it a try. So um, we did go visit um, Louisa County, who did get two of the electric buses, and um, they love them. So, and plus, uh, Dominion came out with a program to reimburse schools for uh, fast chargers, uh, so which would save hundreds of thousands of dollars. Foley said he drove one of the vehicles and found it to be smooth and powerful. Christine Jacobs, the interim director of the TJPDC, said she would convene a workshop of various stakeholders outside of a partnership meeting in order to discuss the issue. Just put everybody at the table so we can all share all of the information we have, results from studies that are being done, um, data on, on the different types of buses. You know, I think it's something that uh, there's a real um, momentum and a craving for us all to share information and make sure that we're all on the same page. However, Williams expressed caution about having community members play a direct role in deciding what kind of buses to purchase. The community doesn't get involved when you're talking about selection of a fire truck or a police vehicle or any of the other vehicles associated with the county. So I'm, I'm, it is a little interesting that there's a lot of concern about selection with individuals who have not ever run a transit system, um, and don't have any information about running and what it takes to make sure that I'm going to be reliable. Williams said a study will soon get underway to determine the best pathway forward and to develop a plan to transition the fleet. In the meantime, he said he does not want his hands tied. I'm not going to be subject to a, a, a committee telling me to buy an electric bus when I don't when I, when I have no confidence that it's going to work. 
Finally today, as reported in Charlottesville Community Engagement before, route changes are pending for Charlottesville Area Transit. The information has been presented to the Regional Transit Partnership and the City Council before, but this summer, the public will get the chance to ask questions in two virtual meetings. Both the Kinetics Transportation Group and the firm Kimley Horn has been working with Williams on the changes. Here's Williams at a June 29th press briefing. When we went into the pandemic, uh, there was concern, like most transit agencies, about how do we get, um, when we come out of the pandemic, what do we do to make the system better for all that use it? Williams said the route changes are intended to reverse a period of ridership decline that was happening before the pandemic. In 2013, CAT carried over 2.4 million riders a year, but that dropped to just over 2 million in 2018. Williams also acknowledged there are a lot of moving parts in transit at the moment. This is not the um, in all to be all. The region is doing a visioning study. Um, so this was designed as a temporary measure over the next couple of years while that study is done to prevent us from having a continued um, rapid decline in ridership. In the current system, all but one of CAT's 13 routes goes to the downtown transit station. In the changes, at least one route will be oriented north to south to travel between Stonefield and the Willoughby Shopping Center. Jim Baker is with the Kinetics Transportation Group. We've uh, proposed introducing some new crosstown service from South Charlottesville to US 29, so no longer will you need to travel from South Charlottesville to downtown, transfer to a bus, and to continue up to US 29, you can do that all on one on the same bus. Another change is that CAT service would be extended to Mill Creek in Albemarle County. Service would also go through the South First Street public housing complex. Other routes would have Sunday service for the first time. A goal on a lot of the lines is to have service that runs at least every 30 minutes. The two public meetings will be on Friday, July 16th at noon, and Wednesday, July 21st at 6 p.m. You can learn more in a link in the newsletter. And that's it for this Independence Day version of Charlottesville Community Engagement, the first of the new fiscal year. Thank you so much to everybody for listening, and uh, because that's a sign that, that you're interested in what's happening in our community and getting involved. Uh, not all of us have the same ideas about what should happen, but whatever happens is happening, whether you like it, what happens or not. The best way to get involved, of course, is to pay attention and to read and learn about things. And that is the role and the goal of of this particular podcast and newsletter. Obviously, you are listening to the podcast. So what I'd like you to do is send it on. Send just the podcast version on to people. Also, if you could review it in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, I think that's a thing that people do. I mean, I've done it a couple of them, I guess. Uh, I'm Sean Tubbs, your host, as I said, and I will be back in the near future with another installment of this program. What's going to come up next, though, is the week ahead, and it might be until Tuesday before there's another installment of this show. There's one big thing I need to get to, and that is the Seville Plans Together conversation that the Planning Commission had last uh, Tuesday. Can't get to it as fast as I'd like to, but I always like to get to it as fast as I can. As I said, I'm Sean Tubbs. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Happy Independence Day and happy day off if you got one. Basically, I just hope you can find peace today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.